Hello and welcome to the Analysis Mason podcast. My name is Tom Rebeck and I'm a partner in our research division. Today, I'm very pleased to have Rommel Barn, CEO of Core Wireless, join me. So first of all, Rommel, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Tom. Pleasure to be here. Okay, great. Now, I don't suppose everybody listening will know all that much about Core Wireless. So can you just start off by giving a brief introduction to the company and, and what you do? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Uh, in fact, if, uh, if people have sort of blinked, uh, you know, over the last couple of three years, they probably still think of Core as, as an IoT connectivity provider, because that's certainly what we have been for the majority of the two decades or so we've been around, starting in the M2M connectivity platform type space. But really, over the last three years' time, I'm delighted to say that we've been on a, on a breathtaking transformation to transform to becoming more of an IoT solutions enabler, much more comprehensive than connectivity. In fact, uh, what we now say we do is deploy, manage, scale IoT applications, whatever IoT means for our customers, from pet tracking and organ tracking to uh, fleet management to remote patient monitoring. Uh, And how we do it is through connectivity solutions and analytics. And so we've expanded our capabilities quite significantly beyond connectivity into um, IoT managed services and analytics. Okay, cool. I think you see that in the, the most recent um, financials that you put out. I think it's more than a quarter of your revenues are now coming from IoT solutions. Yeah, no, well done. You picked that, you picked that up. I'm very proud of the fact that uh, a company that was basically 100% connectivity when, when this leadership team largely arrived in the last three, three and a half year period. Uh, yes, just over a quarter, 26% to be precise in 2020 was our newer services. So very excited about the momentum there. Okay, good. And you sort of touched on it already, but maybe you could talk a bit more about your differentiators and, and your vertical market strategy. Yeah, no, look, absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, we would argue, first of all, that we had a very strong competitive moat, if you will, even just as an IoT connectivity shop, right? Because, uh, you know, we were the... I think the first to really embrace and execute to the thesis of a global independent connectivity provider, a provider that aggregates across uh, many, many MNOs um, and to provide local, resilient, high quality, low cost um, connectivity service to customers that need uh, that multi multi type offer. And when we talk about the multi 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 offer at core, we're talking about multiple devices and technologies multiple regions and countries in the world and multiple protocols and technology barriers, right? And so that, um, we believe that proposition, by the way, 44 integrations into major MNOs around the world, three satellite providers, LoRa and other unlicensed, if we can bring all of that to bear into our platform. So again, just in connectivity, it's very strong. You add to that managed services in the most highly regulated industries like connected health, where you need the HIPAAs and the ISOs, certifications and so forth. You know, you can't touch a medical device without ISO 13485 in this country um, and, and on and on. Um, and, and really, you know, in and of itself, the notion of becoming more of that one-stop shop, Tom, is it, itself a differentiator, yep. right? I mean, we're, we're sort of saying, look, instead of having a dozen or 18 partners out there to launch one end-to-end solution, start with one, start with core. Right? And, and, and then massively simplify our customers. Okay, so the other part of your question was the industry verticals. And it, uh, it you know, it, it isn't a stretch to think that if we're going to do all of these other managed services, analytics, and these kinds of solution-oriented uh, enablement approach, uh, we need to know more about our use cases and our industries than ever before. Mm. 
right? It's a, it's a very different world from being just a horizontal provider of connectivity. And so, uh, so we have picked our, our bets. We've chosen five industry sectors where the vast majority of the IoT spend is. In fact, it's been over 90% of the, of the market's been in these sectors the last few years. In, in the investment deck, you would have noticed we said 80 plus percent just to be conservative and, and mixes and changes other industries adopt. But look, historically, we've been our largest industry was fleet and telematics. Um, it actually slipped to second because connected health became our top right, uh, industry last uh, last year as the pandemic just exploded. Mm-hmm. I mean, in 18 months, we've seen 18 years of adoption and acceleration in connected health. Uh, so those are our two largest. And then our next three bets are probably unsurprisingly in asset and asset monitoring and industrial IoT and then in communication service providers as we enable connectivity services uh, for those sorts of players. So, yeah, excited about those five sectors. Okay, very good. Now. Uh, uh, one of the reasons that we're talking, and I think one of the reasons that you're going to be very closely watched over the next few months, is that you're listing. Uh, it's on the, I think, on the New York Stock Exchange um, in the next. Is it next month that you're you're listing? Yeah, I mean, look, all we've said publicly, anyway, is Q3. Right. Okay. Um, and, and and the reason for that is, of course, it's not in our control. It's when the SEC gets through the review process. Yeah, so, yeah. of course. So, but maybe you could tell us a bit more about those the, the, the plans for the listing and what that means for Core. Yeah, you know, Tom, I think what I'll start with, first of all, is that this was a viable strategic alternative for Core, uh, in our opinion, as a board, um, pretty much since I joined. I mean, uh, you know, I remember it was the May 2018 board meeting where we had our first discussion about uh, a a go public uh, strategic alternative. Um, the, the banker that had come in, and once a year we would always bring in an investment bank, give us advice about you know just good governance uh, uh, practice. And that particular banker told us then that between our just tremendous revenue visibility and the recurring revenue, 91% recurring revenue last year, um, between the public company experience of several of us, I mean, my first CEO job was a public company, several, you know, our CHRO has been a public company CHRO or CTO has been a public company. So you just go down the list and you say, boy, this is a, a better prepared to be public company than many you know private equity shops they, they review and, and advise. And so it's been sort of in the back of our minds since then. Over the period, uh, you know, certainly over 2020, we were, um, you know, we several SPACs reached out to us. And said, look, we are excited about the IoT space. We love how you guys are positioning yourselves. We think you're relatively public ready and do you want to talk? And um, we, we resisted the temptation mainly because we felt like we were on this five-year transformation journey. We were only two and a half, three years into it. And we weren't quite ready to go. But then when Cerberus called Tom, I mean, you know, when a, when a, when a party with that kind of um, credibility and expertise calls. And on the CTAC advisory board, the CEO of the CTAC back, Tim Donahue was, you know, CEO of Nextel, McCaw similar before that, exec chairman of Sprint Nextel. I mean, the kind of people they had, we were like, wow, they will accelerate our transformation, right? And so um, that was the first time we said, okay, we'll put our hat in the ring. We'll, we'll see where we go. I mean, they were looking at over a hundred companies. so. We didn't particularly think there was a high chance we would be the last uh, last person, last company standing at the end of that, but but we were, uh, and so we're excited about it. If I was to say just another thirty seconds worth of stuff about kind of why go public, why now, uh, I'd say that it boils down really to the Cerberus, you know, 
um, the, the, the real connectivity we think they can provide uh, across the industry, but equally just visibility of going public, right? Just these kinds of interviews and, and meeting uh, customers, potential customers becoming known, if you will, we think will be very helpful to the cause because we're a very well kept secret right now, as you said at the beginning of this call. And then the third big reason, and in some ways, uh, one of the biggest reasons to go public is, you know, we are not treating this as an exit. We are not taking a dollar off the table. Every dollar that we are raising through the SPAC investors, through the pipe investors, uh, are going, uh, every dollar is going to pay down our debt from the astronomical level it's at today uh, to a much more manageable 1.5, 1.7 to follow the performa uh, times of EBITDA. That gives us financial flexibility to accelerate our growth, to to move quickly on inorganic activity, uh, and frankly gives us public currency, a stock, to to, to use as part of that acquisition strategy. So we're very excited about how this move will accelerate our growth going forward. Okay, good. And we'll come back to the acquisitions in a second, because I think that's an interesting part of your plan. Um, Just looking at uh, the information that you've put out, um, quite a lot of financial information in advance of that that listing. Um, some of the interesting things I thought, first of all, the valuation itself, so a billion dollar valuation, kind of more or less, um, which I think is about 18 times your 2020 EBITDA. Um, you're obviously raising a bit of extra money, you'll have some extra cash um, uh, from this transaction. And as you say, the, the, the shares for currency, I can, all interesting parts of it. Um, just the, also, there's the I think interesting in that um, in the investor deck, and we'll put a note, uh, a link to the investor deck in the notes for this podcast because it's definitely worthwhile reading for anybody interested in the uh, IoT connectivity space. Um, but as part of that, you talk about your your um, your revenue forecast or your revenue targets. Now, I think in 2020 you were a bit over 200 million. Your last quarter was something like 55 million, so just 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 over that 200 million mark. Um, your target was uh, it's over 400 million in revenue by 2025. So that's quite an aggressive rate of growth, probably faster than the market as we, we're expecting it. So maybe just talk a bit more about how you plan to achieve that that faster rate of growth. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. And and by the way, uh, well done. I, just about everything you ticked off there. And just to clarify for your listeners, the 55 million dollar revenue number that you just mentioned is our first quarter yep. of 2021. Um, and, and we did put that out there with its fulsome results, and it is a record first quarter for us. See, we have some seasonality in our business. The first quarter is seasonally our smallest uh, quarter, and so 55 is actually a pretty darn good number because if you just multiply that by four, that would be 220, which beats the number we put out for yeah. this year already. And if you say that's my smallest, you, you get the idea. But uh, let's talk about why we think there is acceleration of growth going forward, certainly vis-a-vis the last few years, right? So we've been dealing with uh, two headwinds um, uh, that aren't necessarily specific to core. One of them is, one isn't. um, And that's, you know, against the backdrop, of course, of the tailwinds of IoT. So let's talk through all of those dynamics just quickly. The first headwind that we're dealing with is there was some quite serious, what we call the one-time churn in the deck that you've obviously yeah. read, uh, of customers that happened when we did the five or six rather transformative period in Core's history, when we went from you know really being a two-carrier, a Rogers and AT&T only uh, sort of Core to, to being the 44-plus M&O integration company we are now. Lots of acquisition that came with some blood in the water as a cohort of customers that chose to to go elsewhere because they weren't happy for whatever set of reasons, or their sourcing department said, look, you've got to have two providers 
and the two providers we used to have have now come together, so you're going to go to someone else right, for it. Okay. Right? So those sorts of dynamics kicked in, and that has been a reducing revenue set for us. The, the beauty of our business is, as you know, once the SIM's out there, once that device is working, pretty much till the end of that device's lifetime, the revenue is going to come to us. Yeah. So when these customers, quote, choose to put some subscriptions somewhere else for a while, or indeed just leave core, um, we're still getting revenue from them, but it's just decreasing as devices go off. And so we've had to have, you know, that's dug a hole every year that you have to fill before you could grow. The second hole, the second headwind uh, is the massive ARPU adjustments happening. Again, kind of a one-time phenomenon, certainly from 2G, but also from 3G getting into LTE land, right? Long-term evolution, 4G, 5G, 6G we think we'll have far less, uh, there might still be some ARPU reduction, but not of this one type. Okay, not the sort of price pressure you've thing, seen so right? far. Yeah. Exactly. So so our, our, some of our very largest customers, interestingly enough, uh, are either flat or even going down in some cases as their 2G revenues are going down, those devices are coming off, and, and they're activating 4G. So I, I need a lot more volume growth just to pick yeah. that up, right? So when you take those two factors out, the good news, is that by next year, the end of next year, we're sort of done in the United States, which is our, our major geography. The rest of the world still has to take their medicine on 2G, 3G sunsets. We, we're already been, we've been taking it. Right. We've been filling those holes and then still showing growth, right? Um, you just take those two factors out, Tom, and suddenly the growth rates that we're projecting going forward don't look that high. Um, again, IoT tailwinds, specifically if you look at our customer base, 3,600 plus customers. Um, they're growing at about 20% on average in terms of volume, right. right? And so you say, if you did nothing else but serve these guys really well, don't lose them, which we've certainly started to do, and we're certainly not losing customers anymore at the rate that we were at one point. Um, you know, you're going to put 20% devices out there uh, and grow, and we have a fantastic cross-sell opportunity with these new services. Less than 200 of our 3,600 customers um, bought multiple services from us last year, as that number grows, uh, you know, we think solutions will continue to grow as a part of the mix of the of the business. So, again, I mean, it, it does look like a big number, Tom, but it, we, we believe it's, it's very achievable. Okay. And finally, let's come back to acquisitions. So, again, in the Investor Deck, there's this list of um, kind of an anonymized list of 10 or so targets that you're, 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 you're thinking about. So, maybe you could just talk in broad terms about what your acquisition strategy is. Is it looking to gain scale, go to new geographies, new vertical markets, maybe a combination of all of those? What's the, what's the strategy? Yeah, it, it is a little bit of a combination of those. Um, but let me uh, I say, I clarify a couple of things. Right? First of all, you know, we are not... Um, anymore, you know, certainly after those transformative acquisitions that were done at one time to get back-end integrations, to get a customer base, to build scale, we're not in that business anymore. We do not need to do acquisitions to grow, right? Acquisitions will be strategic because they extend our capabilities in a desired direction. The industry verticals, as you just mentioned, a key vector for MA, right? Because um, it brings in great talent, brings in great anchor customers as references and use cases. But talent to me and, and, and those you know, resources and capabilities really are the most uh, important part of that because the more we can talk the language of our customers, the more we talk their use cases. You know, we, we go in and talk clinical drug trials. We talk remote patient monitoring. We don't use the term IoT other than in yeah. these general types of conversations, right? Uh, so that's one vector. The other vector of um, acquisitions uh, would be technological capabilities 
be it edge and edge compute, be it sort of that AIoT, right, the artificial intelligence meeting IoT, uh, be it 5G readiness. We're, we're doing several R&D projects right now to drive our readiness for 5G. Um, but inevitably, you know, we don't, we, we, we're, we're not in the, it has to be built here business, right? If there's great teams that have built some really great stuff out there, we'd love to have them be part of Core and be part of this exciting journey. Okay, excellent. Rommel, thank you very much for joining the Analysis Podcast today. Um, as I said, in the show notes, I'll add links to your investor materials um, in in advance of the, uh, the, the, the listing. Um, I'll also put a link to the article that we published earlier this year on that on that listing. So, Rommel, thank you. To automatically receive future episodes, please subscribe to the Analysis Podcast. Thank you for listening. 